Please remain standing for today's scripture, which comes from John 16. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father." His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be up here. Um, It's been two weeks off, and I'm always excited to get the opportunity to be preaching again. And as I was thinking about this passage, this passage is the end of the farewell discourse, at least properly so. Chapter 17, which we'll spend the next two weeks on, is actually a prayer that Jesus follows up his discourse with. And so therefore, this is the conclusion of the farewell discourse today. And as I was reflecting on that, I thought about what it's like to live in an age of information that we live in right now. We talked about, Ben mentioned this earlier, one of the beautiful things about the farewell discourse and why we named this table talk is that in this final Uh, time together over this meal that Jesus has with his disciples. He's very explicit, maybe more so because of the brevity and the succinctness uh, of how he is summing up his teaching over the years uh, throughout the gospel uh, of John. And when we think about what it's like to live in an age of information, I think oftentimes we overestimate the relationship between information and knowledge. Right? We think because we're informed, somehow we know something about something. Right? Many of us are unwilling to admit when we don't grasp something very well because we feel like we ought to. Like we're reasonable, educated people. We should have an opinion on everything, right? Because we have access to something or at least a little bit about everything. And we've all seen the funny videos that show how willing people are to speak with strong opinions on camera about things that aren't even real, right? You know this. You've seen these videos maybe where they go, people go on the streets or college campuses and make up someone's name as a politician. And they ask a random person, how do you think they're doing in their job? And these people, without even thinking, form strong opinions and comparative opinions about how well or how poorly these people are doing. And as it turns out, this person was either uh, dead 100 years ago or they're not even real, right? We see these videos. We also know what it's like to listen to instructions and be confident that we know what to do. And then when we go to do it, we think to ourselves, wait a minute, how was I supposed to do this? What was I supposed to do, right? I knew the information. I heard it. I repeated it back. And then I went to do it. 
It's one of the reasons why when you pull up a YouTube video to watch something, you end up watching it over and over and over as you're trying to figure something out. So there is this interesting relationship between information and true knowledge, between the amount of information we have and the amount of confidence that we have. But I think there's something more here. There's another reason why we love more and more information. I think it's because we believe that the more information we have, the more knowledge we will have, and that somehow that will bring us more certainty. And what we're really after is certainty. In his book, Pursuing Health in an Anxious Age, Bob Cutillo, who's a physician, uh, writes about the desire for certainty in an uncertain world, especially as it relates to healthcare. So he's talking about all of the information that's possible, all of the data that you can find on yourself when making decisions in healthcare. Now listen, he is a physician, he, he's for healthcare, but even he is curious as to what is the real desire for more and more information as people are making decisions when he is in practice. And he has this great quote, he, he says, why do greater certainty and more control only heighten our fear for what remains outside of our control? Why do greater certainty and more control only heighten our fear for what remains outside of our control? You see, what is it that we're all after, even with certainty? So we think information will lead to knowledge. It doesn't always. But we think knowledge will move to certainty. But what's underneath certainty? Why do we want certainty? Well, I think it's peace. We want a deep sense of peace that everything's going to be okay, that everything's going to work out, that we're going to be safe, that we're going to thrive, that we're not going to be betrayed, that people aren't going to leave us, that we're not going to look like a fool. We want peace. We want confidence that comes with peace. And we all want it. And my question would be, does more information or certainty or ease bring us the peace that we actually long for. Well, Jesus tells us at the end of this farewell discourse in verse 33, why he has said these things to the disciples, why he has said these things to us. He says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Jesus wants you to have peace. He wants me to have peace, and he wants to lead us in the direction that will bring us true peace. So today, we have three concluding points about peace. And it happens to be ABCs. I'm not willing to say these are the ABCs of peace, but I just noticed, wow, that look, A, B, C. So the first thing he says in verses 25 through 28 is that the thing that he wants the disciples to see so that they would have peace as he summarizes his teaching in a nutshell here in the conclusion is that they have access to the Father. Do you see that? Verse 26. In that day, this is after the resurrection, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It was probably three years ago when I first saw this passage, this verse, I mean, when I really saw it, 
Now, of course, I had read it many times before, but, but you know what that's like, right? I was reading in community Bible reading, I think three years ago. And I remember coming to this passage and this particular verse and it just struck me that he says, you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And I thought about how much peace that there is there and how often I fail to embrace this privilege right here of of unfettered access to the Father. Because what's happening is, if you remember, Jesus has told them already, I'm going away, but I'm sending you a helper. And now he's telling them, and by the way, after my resurrection, which you don't know anything of yet, you'll ask in my name, but he, he stops. He wants them to know what he means by that. I was thinking about this and, you know, when I was a kid, I used to be nervous to go to a friend's house because I thought to myself, what if something comes up? What, what am I going to do? My mom and dad aren't there. Who's going to help me? And then, and then I would tell my mom and dad that and they would say, well, we'll just go ask your friend's parents. Go ask their dad if you need help. But here's the thing is that inevitably I would be somewhere at a friend's house. Something would come up and I would be afraid to go straight to their dad and ask them. So what would I do? Maybe we see our kids do this now, or maybe you do this. I would go to my friend and I would say, hey, go ask your dad if, right? Go ask your dad if we can eat a snack. Go ask your dad if we can go outside and ride bikes. Go ask your dad if we can fill in the blank. And so I would do that for a while. And then I remember one of my friends one time, next door neighbor, uh, he finally looked at me and he said, listen, my dad likes you. Just go ask him. You go ask him. I'm tired. And he's playing a video game. I'm tired of asking him. I'm not going to hit pause again. You go ask him. So I finally got up the courage to go ask my friend's dad for a snack directly. Now still, why was it that he was willing to listen to me, right? Eventually I had the boldness, but I also had the right to ask his dad directly because I knew that his dad loved me, wanted to hear from me because I was a friend of his son, right? That's the only reason I belonged and, and I was over there so often And I had such a deep relationship with his son that eventually it was like I was a part of the family. And in fact, they treated me that way. And I would never have thought uh, to, to go ask my friend again, hey, go ask your dad for this. I would walk up and ask him. But it was because my relationship with the son that I could go ask him. You see, we have this amazing access to the father. That, change, that changes our relationship with him because of our relationship with the Son. And Jesus wants them to know, no matter what curiosity you would have, no matter what need you think you have, you'll never be left high and dry. Because of your relationship with me, you now have access to the Father. You can go ask him yourself. He loves you. And so we don't ever bypass Jesus. It's always in Jesus' name, but it's because of our relationship with him that we have access to the Father. And Jesus wants us to know this, that we can have peace because we have peace with the Father in relationship. We can go straight to him. We have access 
to the Father. And that's the first thing that Jesus wants to say as he sums up the farewell discourse. So I would ask you, how do you view the Father? Do you sort of view that uh, God, the Father, in such a way that Jesus has to stand in front of him because he sort of wants to get at us? Or that he's, he's disinterested in us, but because Jesus thought it was a good idea to, to die for us, that now he somehow uh, has to relate to us in a loving way? Or do you see the triune God coming together in redemption, all in their own assignments, in order to bring us into relationship with them? That's what Jesus has been saying. And that's what he'll say even more fully in the prayer that we'll cover in the next two weeks. However you view the Father will change your life. Do you view the Father with open arms that he himself loves you because you love the Son? Or do you view him sort of as an ogre with a stiff arm? That will change you one way or the other. One will lead to peace and one will lead to anxiety when it comes to praying to God the Father. One will lead to scarcity as though you don't have a Father in heaven who wants to provide for you in every single moment. And so Jesus wants us to see God as a Father who loves us. We have access to him. So that's A. The second point of peace, B, Jesus wants to point out the boast of a believer. Now, this I'm going to have to work a little harder to show you, okay? But, but go with me here. This is in verses 29 through 32. What's happened is Jesus, this is sort of his last bit of teaching here. And then in verse 29, his disciples have this epiphany. They have this flash of insight. They say, ah, you can almost see it in their face, see it in their eyes. Ah, <laughs> now you are speaking plainly. Can you imagine three years and finally, oh, now, now I get it. You're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Now, in, in, in ancient times, especially in the, in the Jewish mindset, if we read the literature, we know that a sign of divinity is when a person, or of course God, could know the questions you were asking in your mind without you saying them. And they watched Jesus do this over and over. And then here, that's what they're saying. Oh, now, now we see it. Now we know. You know all things. And Jesus' response uh, is, he uses irony. This is irony. Now he doesn't do this often, but he does do it. And maybe that's a lesson to you or I, how we might correct our children or we might correct those under our authority. How often do you use irony or do you shame people with it or do you use it to, to invite them in? Now, Jesus uses it to invite them in and let's see how he does it. So they're all excited. They, they, now they understand. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Or you could say, oh, do, do you now believe? Either way, there's this response of irony because now that Jesus had put everything in a nutshell, they're thinking they're starting to get it. They've come to this great insight and then Jesus basically points out to them, I'm not so sure and let me tell you what's about to happen. He says, 
Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Basically, Jesus is saying, listen, if you really did believe and understand like you say you do now, you wouldn't be afraid of the world, but you're terrified of the world. If you really believed how you think you believe, you would not be terrified of the world, but you're about to be scattered and desert me. You're about to leave the shepherd, the one who can protect you, the only one who can protect you. You're about to leave and that's going to become apparent. So what is Jesus doing here? Is Jesus being Debbie Downer? Is Jesus delighting in, in taking a pen and popping their bubble of insight? And just, just as an aside, do you get weird, sick, twisted joy in doing that to people? Like, is there a part of you in your own faithlessness and cynicism that looks out at other people and thinks, oh, they'll learn one day. Let me pop that bubble for them. Right? Do you have a disposition that says, oh, they'll learn when they get married. Oh, they'll learn when they have kids. Oh, they'll learn when they have two kids. Oh, they'll learn when they have three kids. Oh, they'll learn when they have four kids. They don't know yet. Oh, they'll learn. When, how many? How many kids do I need? Okay. Now, the reason I want to point in here is because we, in the same way that we need to understand the true presentation of who the Father is, we need to understand what Jesus is doing here because this is very sensitive here because you and I all know what it's like to fail. You and I all know what it's like to walk out of this place or to walk out of our time of prayer and meditation in the Bible and think that we get it and fail that day. We all know what that's like. And the way that we understand Jesus's motivation or Jesus's way of teaching, the way that we hear his voice, that matters. When we see and respond to Jesus, do we grow in wholeness or do we shrink into cynicism and shrink into harshness? Listen, Jesus said he came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. And if you and I don't hear that and then we don't live that for other people, we don't understand Jesus and we don't understand his teaching. And so what is he doing here? Listen, he wants them to be prepared. You and I know what this feels like. You see, Jesus is pointing out something so important to us. What he's really saying, because what he says is, look down with me again. Do you now believe the hour is coming when you will be scattered each to his own? You're going to leave me. Why? Because in the world, you have tribulation. Things are going to come against you. People are going to come against you. Your own heart in fear is going to attack you. And he wants them to be prepared for that. And this is really the point. Jesus is saying, listen, you do believe, right? He's not questioning their belief because what did he say in verse 26? In that day, you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, but the Father loves you. Why? Because you have believed that I came from God. And yet now he's questioning their belief. What he's really doing is he's pointing out to them that listen, you do believe, but your belief will be tested and transformed the most when you are in trouble. And not just morally like you've made a wrong decision, but when things are coming against you, not when the sun is shining, but when you're in the storm. Jesus is saying you will, your belief will be tested 
and transformed when you're in the storm. Now listen, this is hard for me to say, but the Bible teaches it often. And that is, generally speaking, we tend to grow more in our faith in the storms of life. Generally speaking, we don't come to realize Jesus is all we need until we come into a situation where he's all we have. In general, it's only when God starts to take away what we've come to rely on for our peace that we come to see that we have all the resources for peace in Jesus. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's asking them, what is your boast in? I don't know about you, but I find it more relaxing to sit on the beach as long as, for as long as possible in the sun, but not too much sun, with something cool in my hand and a breeze and just no kids to chase around. In those moments, I find so much peace. And those are good. I'm not about to tell you that those moments aren't good and a gift from God. They absolutely are. But Jesus is getting at something else here. What he's getting at is, actually, it's in the rigor of life that you will get the strongest. You will grow in strength under strain. It's like lifting weights. It's like doing any weight-bearing exercise. Right? If you're doing weights that are easy, you're not going to get any stronger. But it's as you push and strain and struggle under the weight of something heavy when you get stronger. And this, there's an analogy here. You're not getting any stronger sitting on the beach, although it feels easier. But you're getting stronger under the weight of something heavy as you're pushing against it. And Jesus wants them to be prepared for this. You see, in challenging times, it's when the truths of Jesus' teaching stop being abstract and start to change you. Oh, this is what it means that I will be persecuted. Oh, this is what it means to know the Father. Oh, this is what it means to, to feel like I'm standing on sinking sand because I feel all of my accomplishments. I feel all of my pretense. I feel all of those things that I boast in shifting. And now I know what it's like to stand on sinking sand. And, and I know what it's like to step onto the rock and put my confidence in Jesus. You see, it stops being abstract and it starts being very concrete. You know, and I was thinking about how often we protect people in our care from suffering. So, of course, you could think about children. We do everything we can to keep them from suffering, and we might be hurting them. Now, of course, I'm talking about responsibly here. But sometimes it starts with, I know you feel like you're going to die because you have to look the waiter in the eye and tell them what you want to eat, but you're not going to die. Just look them in the eye and say it. Say it, right? In those moments, we are helping our children. Thank you. <laughs> we are helping them when we 
engage their fears about relating with someone in school, preparing them for it, but sending them out, sending them to have that hard conversation and then debriefing with them, right? Or those who work for us, right? Sometimes it's easier to do things on your own, but, but are you developing anyone? If you're an educator, same way with your students, it may be easier for you and for them if you make the assignments easier for them, but are you challenging them? Are you preparing them in any way? Listen, we know what this is like and our heavenly father does not want us to stay where we are. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to change. But if we don't boast in the right thing, we will become weaker and not stronger. And that's why I use the word boast. What is the boast of a believer? Is it your willingness to step out in courage? No. You know, the word boast that Paul uses in Galatians is a military term. The way that a military general would get people to charge on the battlefield as he would start yelling out boasts. He would say, we have more horsemen. We have bigger swords. We have more archers. We have all of these things. It would begin boasting, lining up all the reasons why the army should charge. And then they would charge. And Paul says, I will boast in the cross of Christ. That's what I will take my confidence in. So really, every human being boasts in something. And Jesus wants his disciples to know, yes, you do believe, but, but just so you know, don't boast in your insight because you're about to get it handed to you as you scatter. Don't overestimate your ability to articulate the faith. Live the faith. Do something. And in the midst of it, he's saying peace will come. Yes, in the midst of trouble when Christians are forced to look at their boast, what are you boasting in? What are you trusting in? What are you calling to mind when you're afraid? So Jesus wants to introduce them to this dynamic before they experience it. And so I want you to hear me pointing to what Jesus is saying that that time when you have insight and then fail, Jesus knows he knew and he loves you. And then he goes on to say this. I've said these things that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so the three points of peace, we're getting to our third point now. The first one is, Jesus wants you to know you have access to the Father through him. He wants you to know and be reminded of your boast is in me, not your perceived handle on your insights. And then, lastly, Jesus wants to point us to peace in that we can have courage in him. Courage in Christ. Now, I get that from verse 33, but take heart. It's really hard to translate this. Be of good cheer is even stranger to me. But take heart is good. And you could say, dare. Dare to do something. Dare to believe. 
Take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So it's like he's saying, dare to believe because I've overcome the world. Step out and act as if all the things that I've told you are true. Put it into practice. You have access to the Father. I want you to live like you have access to the Father. Take heart. Lean into that. Try something. Risk something. Open your mouth and say something. So, so how, how would that look? Just a couple of examples. What would it be like when we would rest our identity in Jesus, right? This gets back to the boasting idea. When our boast is in the cross, we now don't have to equate our courage to step out in trusting Jesus on how many resources we have to catch us if we fall or how successful we have been in the past or our popularity or our networks. See, if you and I get our strength from anything we have except Jesus, the world will terrify us because that thing can be taken from us. If you and I boast in any moment, if we take our courage and dare to live as though what Jesus said is true, if we find that strength in anything else except our acceptance in Jesus Christ, we will not overcome the world because that thing will be taken from you. Either now or later, sometime in life or definitely in death, it will be taken from you. And Jesus is saying, take heart because I have overcome the world. Any other status or relationship can be taken away from you. And Jesus is telling us, dare to believe that what makes you significant and what makes you secure and what makes you safe is that you are loved completely in Jesus. Some of you are so terrified to be vulnerable at all because you're afraid if you lose control, you will be betrayed. If you lose control, if you give up control, if you show any weakness, you will be preyed upon. And I know you may have had experiences that have taught you that, but Jesus is trying to tell you, I have overcome the world. Some of you believe that if anybody sees any weakness in you at all, that they no longer will see you of any value. Some of you believe that if you step in to the world of great need, and offer yourself and show up in faith in the name of Jesus that you will be so overwhelmed relationally that you'll have no space for yourself. And so you just shrink back and you don't show up. You think to yourself, if I get too involved, it'll be too much. It'll be too overwhelming. And so the way I will stay safe is to stiff arm anyone in need. Some of you are so afraid that if you don't have control and you don't have certainty, you will lose options and that will be the death of you. Some of you are so afraid to show up in courage because you need people to see you as wise, as politically correct, as whatever. But if you're seen at all as someone with your own opinion, as someone with your own vision, as someone with your own thoughts, you're afraid that people will dismiss you. 
You see, Jesus is inviting you in that moment. Look to me. I've overcome the world. You are secure in me. Take courage in me. Boast in me. And one of the things that we could absolutely overlook is that some of you, many of you, immediately thought how much harder you needed to work on your own. It it didn't even dawn on you that you need other people in order to be this type of person. So I would say take courage in Christ, yes, but take courage in Christ in community. Notice in verse 32 what happens. He says, you will be scattered each to his own home. Now listen, after Jesus raises from the dead, we get get the book of Acts to tell us about some things that happened. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this sermon, the Spirit comes down in Pentecost, and then things start to happen. These scattered people, something starts to bring them together. And I want to read from one verse in Acts chapter 2, or one passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together. You hear this? Scattered. You're afraid. You're terrified. You're scattered. You're alone. But then the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches. And now all of a sudden, they're they're, they're coming together in fellowship. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This meeting today for circles. We're not asking you to do this for us. I mean, I don't need to, we don't need to create things. Like you're not here to support me in my ministry right now. I hope that's not how you view it. We really got to support Damien and the church. Listen, we're gathered to be formed. What we want to see happen in circles is things like this, where people gather together in intimate relationship because there will be trouble in the world and you will feel trouble in the world. And you are not meant to walk through that alone. Jesus gives you the spirit, yes, but the spirit makes up the people of God. And so as we will make the transition next week to the the words that Jesus prays for us, this week what I want you to consider, what I want us to remember is that the deep peace that we long for is possible because in the moment of anxiety, you have perfect access to the Father, unfettered access. You can go to him, you can turn to him. And in that moment when you desire peace, it's a call to remember, what am I boasting in? What am I holding on to that will make me okay, that will make me show up, that will make me speak vulnerably? What am I boasting in? Well, if I boast in Jesus, then I I don't have to be as afraid. In, In trouble, I can have peace. But then the courage doesn't only come you as maverick Christian. It grows in community. And we need each other. And in a minute, we're going to come to the table and we're going to watch all of us need Jesus together. And we're going to encourage one another. So this week, go to the Father through the Son. Recognize your false boasts and begin to boast in the only one who has overcome the world.
And take courage. Take courage. Because he has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now grateful for these words that you have preserved for us by your Spirit in the Bible, in this Gospel of John. We ask that you would call us to examine our boasts even now. Help us repent of our own boasting and our own strength. Help us show up with courage in you, Jesus, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Forgive us when we, in hubris, boast in our own insight and help us turn to you. And we want to do it together. We're grateful for the gift of community. Help us now as we respond in faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.